Are you critically insane, have a lot of excess money, or even better, both? Then you can support this podcast by clicking on the ACAR support button. You can give as rarely and as little as you want, which, judging by the quality of this, I'm sure you're wanting to do. Hello, and welcome to a PhD Super Reads episode 27. Now, did you know, 27 out of all the numbers ever is the only positive integer that is three times the sum sum of its digits. So, 2 plus 7 is 9, and 3 times 9 is 27. There you go. That is another mathematical fact for you, Rodrigo Cocteen. What do you think? I think, like, mathematicians are incredible. I think, like, my, my coolest thing with math or maths, I guess, as you guys would say it, is that, uh, like, how it occurs naturally in nature, like, you can see it in so many places. But I will say that on the concept of these little factoids of numbers, and this is no dig at you, but I mean, in general, you can see it on the internet, like, mathematicians love finding, like, these little factoids about numbers that are relevant only to them. Like, it's not even as cool as yes. a parting trick. Like, if you went to a party and you told somebody, like, you know, 27 is the only number, what you just said, I feel like people would be like, I I feel like I've never thought about that. I feel like I will never think about that again kind of thing. But uh, mathematicians love that. Like, just like for that, for the 27, I've seen so many other other like versions of, of that. Um, I follow a couple of people on TikTok that are like mathematicians and speak to, to um, speak about the topic like with incredible passion. And I'm always like, you know, find something that you love as much as they love numbers, right? Like, that's just the, the reality of it. I was quite surprised out of... It's only the number 27 that this is a true fact. And the fact thing is, no it's very numbers. hard to call them out on it. Like, it could not be a real fact, but it's like, obviously you have more control and dominion over numbers. Like, I'm going to take your word for it that this is true. And then, you know, if some other mathematician in the future calls me out, I'm going to come back and find you. Yeah, well, Wikipedia <laughs> told me, so I'm, I'm, I'm blaming that. Uh, if you want more mathematical facts on a monthly basis, you can uh, like this show, share it with your friends that also want mathematics really like benign <laughs> mathematical facts and then you can all subscribe and learn something new every month uh, speaking of this past month unfortunately april saw the loss of two big names in the comic book industry so uh, george perez who we've known has been ill for quite a while i think it was two yesterday at the time of recording two days ago uh finally passed away if you don't know who george perez is he's known for drawing Probably some of the most well-known comic book events mm-hmm. ever. Christ on Infinite Earths. He drew he drew the majority of the Infinity Gauntlet, but also worked on Teen Titans, Wonder Woman, Avengers, Superman. All. If you can name a character out there, there's a high likelihood that George Perez drew yeah. it. Uh, especially because so this month I managed to get my hands on the early 2000s JLA Avengers crossover that was produced. Um, and I read that. It's not the best book ever produced. I mean, it's the classic, we need to get these heroes to fight, so uh, let's make them behave not really like they, they normally do. And then they had a fight. And But let me tell you, it must be, way back in 2003, it must have been pretty exciting to draw this because it's got everyone in it. At the end of the book, the, I mean, the story revolves around some... One of those Green Lantern Owen folk that's gone rogue and wanted to find the the secrets of the creation of the universe. And in the end, he brings these two universes together. And of course, they're incompatible. So the Grandmaster gets involved and they have to go find 
random objects from each of the universes, blah, blah, blah. Um, then Galactus is in it, and because he was around at the creation of the universe, I didn't know that. And But eventually, what I'm trying to say is, at the end, there are these sort of waves through reality. And so you've got your core Avengers and your core members of the JLA, and then these waves cross. And during these big action scenes, the the members of the team just change, or their the uniforms that they're wearing change. And it's like, that must have been really cool and exciting to draw. So if you can get your hands on the JLA Avengers crossover, it's quite expensive. And I only end up getting it because there was, I guess... Some random comic book shop I found on the internet didn't quite know what they had because it was only £60. Whereas if you look on eBay, it's like <laughs> ticking up close to 200 So good for me, bad for them, I guess. But I would recommend reading that. Yeah. As it, well as George Perez. If I could just add on to George Perez, know that I think like uh, a lot of people, especially of Latino descent, absolutely love him. This man is uh, Puerto Rican, mm-hmm. and he is one of the the big people that managed to break through pretty early on. If you are not super familiar with his work, he was responsible for uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. But specifically, there is a cover of his where Superman is holding Supergirl's, like his cousin Supergirl's body, mm-hmm. that has been referenced time and time and time and time and time again, right? Like in comic books, like it's you can see Scott carrying Jean Grey's body. Like there's so many variations of it. Yeah. So. Um, his work, I think, will have an impact beyond what we can say today, what people will talk about today as they remember him. Um, I, I don't think the comic book industry in the future will be where it's at, like if it wasn't for the influence of George Perez, who I absolutely love. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we also, another artist was lost in that, Neil Adams. Just, so in such quick succession, too, month. right? Like it's been yeah, absolutely. absolutely horrible to read this, this news. Yeah. If you don't know who Neil Adams is, he was probably best known for revitalizing Batman after a period of campy Batman stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's also been involved in X-Men Green Lantern. He drew the Superman versus Muhammad Ali crossover. But he was also a big advocate for creators' rights, both in terms of the art involved in allowing comic book artists to then be able to sell at the panels that they actually drew that weren't so they weren't owned by your DCs, your Marvels, or whoever. But he was also involved in the case with uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster in getting uh, financial compensation for Superman, who, well, makes a lot of money, and so their creators deserve a lot of yeah. money in, in uh, response. So uh, rest in peace to those 100%. fine folk. But April also saw the MCU continue, as it does all the time. With So... Moon Knight finished and Doctor Strange came out. Which, I give you the keys, which would you prefer to talk about first? I will say that I think, I mean, just judging by general sentiment, that I'm the rare exception that was actually very satisfied with both of these things. I think in the beginning of Moon Knight, I was like a little bit like, what exactly are we doing? But I think it mm-hmm. it finished really well. And then Doctor Strange, I think is something that maybe will not appeal to everyone. But like to me specifically, not only was it like, interesting and going in the direction where i wanted it i think it ended up having like i I, you can see the sam raimi influence in it and i think it was fun to watch so i'm down to talk about either like i don't know where where you want to start um but then i am one of the majority so moon knight i thought it started fine and i thought it ended so a lot of these disney plus shows sort of they fumble the final hurdle it's either really rushed like one division or in a case of something like Falcon and Winter Soldier, to be fair, I didn't care at all throughout the six episodes. So I didn't care at the end either. This was probably the best 
finale of all the Disney Plus shows so far. It gave me what I wanted, but I was also left quite disappointed. The fact that it was six episodes, I think, was a bit of a problem when you spend two episodes without Moon Knight mm. in it. Now, I, those Asylum episodes were great. Like, no, no doubt about that. But in the context of the whole show, when you see Moon Knight for two minutes in episode one, if that, like, there's that brief fight in episode two or three where, where they go and barter with that, that guy, and then you don't see him at all. And then, oh, here he is at the end. Um, so I would preferred maybe 10 episodes. You know, have a bit more of time in the asylum, but also a bit more with Moon Knight in it. And then there were issues with, okay, so they might not get a second series. I mean, everyone involved seems interested in continuing Moon Knight, but no one said that there will be any more Moon Knight. I mean, I know Oscar Isaac has signed on for one series, uh, May Calloway's also signed on for one series. So why introduce Jake Lockley in like the post-credit mm-hmm. scene if that's not going to... Like, people are just going to be like, what? Who's that? And you'll never see him again, so it doesn't matter. So I think I was disappointed and I thought Moon Knight could have been more. And I didn't like the suit throughout any of the six episodes, but that's yeah. something else. I, that, I would agree that with that last part of... Uh, of uh, the negative of New Moon Knight. It's like, I'm not sure what they were going for, but there is that no. And it's funny because Oscar Isaac actually wore the suit, but every time you see it, it looks mm. so CGI and so fake. I guess it's kind of like the moon in the sense it seems like it's reflecting its light to the point where it seems like it's almost generating its own light. But I don't think it was as effective as they think it was. Yeah. At least, see, I'm quite surprised to find out that you say he actually wore. Yeah, he something. actually right. wore. The, looks he actually wore fake. both. He wore like the 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 white suit, like the Stephen Moon Knight suit, and he wore <laughs> the 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 Mark's uh, Moon Knight suit, right? And so I don't know. I think like maybe they need to rethink a little bit like of the effects for that. Um, regarding the other stuff, I will say, I guess I didn't, my, my assumption is and maybe it's wrong here, is that there probably will be more Moon Knight stuff. Like, I, I think mm-hmm. it, you know, it's kind of like how Andrew Garfield was denying that uh, he was in anything until we were in, at the screen watching him. And then probably even hours <laughs> after that, he was still pretending that he wasn't in Spider-Man. Like, I think uh, actors kind of know that, like, they're supposed to be very tight-lipped about, like, future projects mm-hmm. and so on. So I think they're all kind of doing, like, the pleasant, yeah, we would, you know, there's a good story we would love to do a season two. But I think they're probably a little bit more uh, advanced in, in conversations as to what's next yeah. than that. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence that they're setting up all these pieces kind of for, like, you know, like a Midnight mm-hmm. Suns kind of thing or, you know, setting up, yeah. like, on one hand, and like Blade and uh, the uh, the Black Knight and so on and like mm-hmm. potentially I think they have like a like I don't know if it's like a Halloween special but I think there is somewhere where I th- Werewolf by Night is supposed to show up. So, yes, I think I remember that. So it's like it seems like brain. that would be somewhere where Moon Knight would continue to be in like an integral piece. And so I think they're not saying more now, but there probably is a future. Um, I will say that also I think like if I was looking for kind of like the conflict between. Uh, like hero and villain, they went super fast with that. And part of it was also the tease of Jake 
Lockley, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, he he kind of switches into his third persona that was teased throughout his thing. And so you don't actually see the resolution. You're just kind of told it's done. Yep. And so if like that's kind of what I was looking for, I and, or if anyone's looking for, which I think is a valid thing to be looking for, I think it, it will be more disappointing than it was to me. But to me from the beginning, like my main concern throughout this was like, how are they going to represent or what are they going to say about like, you know, DID, like in the, the disassociative yeah. identity disorder that he has. And I think that's where I enjoyed the last two episodes. Like one that really explored the continuous trauma that he had been put through to a child that kind of explained why he felt the need to develop a second disorder. And I think it was done with a lot of respect. And then the, 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 the last one where he kind of comes to the conclusion that his true superpower is being able to have like both of these people inside yeah. him and that he's perfectly fine. And now obviously there's a, a wrench thrown at him where he has to, has to figure out like where does this third person and fall into this and you know Conchu is still there uh doing his thing but overall i think also i just really committed by the end of it right like it's kind of like the 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 uh, i th- i can't remember if the actress's name is may or the yeah it's like may is the actress and layla is the character and yeah, so anyways like her turning into a superhero that was kind of seen coming even from the point where they went to um gaspar duliel's characters name i can't remember uh his like party thing and then she just like randomly yeah. grabbed her necklace and used it as weapons and i'm like what like who, what, what were we supposed to assume that she always carries around a weapon or like did she can she turn anything to a weapon and then it obviously makes more sense when she ends up becoming like a full-on yeah. superhero um so like by that point though i was like committed like seeing like the two gods fighting on top of the pyramids i'm like bro this is great like i'm down like yeah it, 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 it i didn't question it too much but i will think like at the beginning I was trying to figure out, like, what is this show trying to be? What is this show trying to say? Um, I do think, to your point, that there is, like, there's a lot of work that you need to do reading between the lines. Like, I'm thinking, like, in the beginning when there's, like, um, a character at the museum that was asked out on a date. Obviously not by Mark. Mark's married. Obviously not by Steven. Steven doesn't recognize. So it has to be by Jake, right? And so how Mm -hmm. long and when does he come out? Like, what are the things that he does? Like, I'm guessing that all uh, all this time... Mark, whenever he wasn't in control of the body, he assumed that it was Steven and Steven vice versa thought it was maybe like one other identity that or alter that was in charge of the body when he wasn't. And so now to kind of have to, I guess, reconcile that part. But I do think, you know, resolution a little bit like too quick. I do think maybe there could have been an extra episode, but I think Oscar Isaac put in some of like the best acting work that the the Marvel yeah. Cinematic Universe has seen so I far. Agree with that. And so I mean my also knowledge base that level of knowledge uh is not as high I think as other people. A little bit higher now in this last month, which I've read some which we'll talk about. Um but yeah, but you know it it I, I think I, I did ultimately enjoy it. Yeah, I think like I'm not saying I thought it was mm-hmm. bad. I just wanted yeah. more, I guess. Which, which I suppose you know is a good thing. Leave you wanting mm-hmm. more, but in this case it was sort of like, oh, I wanted more right now. Like you know, if I was if I was in charge of Moon Knight, I would have perhaps instead of cutting away for the Jake Lockley scene in the finale, maybe put him in there. Let us actually see what Jake Lockley does. Mm-hmm. Because even that that final that final fight is like oh, and then Arthur Harrow is is defeated in a, in a in a flickering of the screen. Yeah, and it's like in the the it seemed like when they did the first of the two kind of asylum um, episodes, like that with the sarcophagus that was. Uh, shaking yes. like it seemed like that was a great moment to kind of reveal that you know like have him open the third one and then have mm-hmm. them all three kind of figure out and so on and you know introduce some tension blah blah they did end up doing they didn't end up doing that and again it's like i do think that they're probably 
somewhere different in conversations than what they publicly say you know like i think like the for us publicly facing the idea is like yeah we don't know if we'll continue this story but i'm guessing that kevin feige has them a little bit more committed than than perhaps like a full-on contract but much more so than just like you know we're, we're in chats to see if there's interesting ideas mm-hmm. i think the last thing i think the, the other impact those asylum episodes had was I could not have cared any less about Arthur Harrow because, and his plan to revive Amit yeah. because you you don't you don't see him. I was much more interested in him as that pretend doctor. Yeah. <laughs> like that was much more interesting to me than this guy with a with a scale staff yeah. thing. I mean, it's like a lot of. MCU origin stories, I suppose, the villain does sort of become second fiddle. I mean, with the, the exception of what we're hero. about to talk about, I think. Yes, no, that that's that, that's very true. But my last thought was, if the gods can fight physically, why do they need these avatars? It, like, if Konshu can become a pyramid-sized bird skeleton, what's the point of Mark Spector? Yeah, I mean, and also, it's like, it seemed at some point, it seemed like Konshu couldn't affect directly people or see them but then Layla could see Kanchu so I'm wondering was it because mm-hmm. like Kanchu was kind of like gonna offer the role of Avatar to Layla like similarly like how when Mark was dying he could see Kanchu like I feel like the yeah. the rules there are kind of vague but it also it, it seemed interesting like we had like these physical representations of gods it seems like from the trailers uh Thor what is it God and Love and Love Thunder, and Thunder yeah. right I was like, God of Thunder? No, yeah, Thor, yeah. Love and Thunder. Like, it's going to deal with um, the God Killer, the God Slayer, whatever his name is, the guy that's co- going around killing gods. And so maybe mm-hmm. part of the reason why they also wanted to make these giant representations of gods is so that they have a f- couple more to, to off uh, for for Thor. Because it does seem like we're going to, you know, see some Greek gods. Maybe I, I think Zeus yep. is pretty clear in the in the trailer. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm assuming Hercules might be around and, and, you know, who else. But if we also see that giant, like, beast god that gets killed. But if they need to show him a path of, of gods he's been killing like maybe some other ones that they can end up killing and some of the ones that they they introduced here right i'm guessing probably not the hippo uh hippo god apologies for all like egyptologists of me referring to things yeah. like hippo god <laughs> i mean i can generally remember the name and just not with the specificity that i feel comfort comfortable saying it tarawet i yeah. think was the hippo one right i thought it was strange so that her admittedly in hindsight Moon Knight looks nothing like a bird, but you would have thought, like, Layla became the Scarlet Scarab. What's that got to do with a hippo? Yeah. Oh, she had, she had a scarab mm-hmm. on, her, on her necklace. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also, uh, just shout out to the scene when they bring back Amit and he, like, they start, like, killing the people and you can just see the crocodile, like, swallowing the souls. I absolutely enjoyed that. That felt like very video game-ish, like, uh, you know, cinematography. Well, I would love... I didn't. I didn't think about Thor. I would love to see Conchu, by far and away my favorite character in all in in the whole six episodes. More of him. Just bring him in every every product, every Marvel product. Although they did say I was reading that they were going to there were talks to bring in the Eternals into I saw that. and they didn't do that. I mean, I think like I'm, it was tight and and you know like it, it needed more time as it is. So I think like cutting them probably was mm-hmm. a good decision. But I think at some point, especially when we're talking about gods that have been around forever, that is like a logical place to bring in the Eternals to kind of reinforce the idea that they have been here forever. You know, because I know like it was a big question during the movie. It's like, well, have you been chilling here? Where have you been? Exactly. But that is the past of the MCU. 
present day MCU, all sorts of crazy shenanigans have been going on, courtesy of the multiverse. Mm -hmm. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse Madness. I don't understand how people don't like it. I, I don't... It's not a perfect film. I'm not saying that. But I do think it's probably the biggest improvement from origin film to sequel since maybe The Winter yeah. Soldier. I will say, um, I'll start off with my negatives about the movie. Because again, I also don't agree that it's... it's I also agree that it's not a perfect movie. I will say, number one, it is really, I think, for me, from my perspective, the first movie that requires you to watch a project outside of the title of it, right? Absolutely. Like, it, for most of the time, you can get away with, like, you know, it's just, exists in the MCU, they're going to give you everything you need. Like, this one, if you don't watch WandaVision before, then it's like, a lot of this doesn't make sense, because the last time you would have seen Wanda maybe would have been, like, in Avengers. And so, you can mm -hmm. understand that there's grief, but she has gone like straight up villain in this one, right? So I think like that one is a big thing. And just in general to like on kind of like what you need to see before, it doesn't seem super clear to me like all these things that have been happening with the multiverse, like in Loki, like the, the timelines mm -hmm. kind of like disrupting or whatever and then like what happened in spider-man or maybe even like wanda using the dark hold and, and so on like how or what is causing like these multiversal issues or are there even multiversal issues right because in this one not necessarily so it's like that part doesn't seem clean enough like all this stuff coming into it to feed in and i know like movies have shifted around like i think this one was supposed to come out earlier yeah. and so maybe that's also a reason why things are not perfectly aligning like that's like on the negative side i will say also like an additional thing um the trope of kind of like women going hysterical is in ways problematic it was problematic when we did it in the comic book version of house of m um and so i think if that is something that that what you as a viewer like are affected by or you know like I, I think it's a valid criticism i don't know that i necessarily share it i think a lot about like queer representation i'm a gay person and so i think like should gay people be about like like it, it, it is gay people being villains like contributing to the fact that there's something like nefarious with being queer right and it's like i understand the argument but at the same time i don't want like this like whitewashed version of like gay people yeah. all the time that they have to be heroes because we can't portray them any other way and so i think similarly about that but again i'm not a woman i'm not like a cis woman not trans woman so i i don't know that i'm the, the person to speak to like whether or not like hysteria in women is, is something that is reinforced by this movie or not i think that's a valid criticism i, I just don't have it i don't want to expand on it but i will say so there's stuff there that you can you can point to but i think like two things number one i think like wanda is great in this movie as in terms like elizabeth olsen Absolutely. gets to act more than she has in almost any other one right and, and you know she's she comes across as incredibly powerful in a very believable way which is something that i struggle with mm -hmm. like in thor it's like i, I saw taika waititi talking about how christian bale is going to be like the best villain in the mcu but it's like it's always rough when you have to introduce him in that movie and then build him up immediately yeah. to be like suddenly he's the biggest threat right whereas like wanda because she's been laying down all this groundwork in wandavision which i have seen and like you know uh, in avengers taking on thanos one-on-one -on -one, like we already know the sense of power that she has so i think like a wanda is great in this movie I think the cameos were the right amount of cameos. Like, they're, they're really, like, if you go into this movie thinking, like, cameos and multiverse cameos play a big, big part of this, they really don't. It's in one specific universe right. where 
Stephen Strange has done something specific that led up to kind of like the the setup of the Illuminati, which is where we see all. And Wanda makes very, very quick work of, of them in like a very fun and interesting way. But I think like my biggest takeaway from this movie is just how fun Sam Raimi makes superhero movies. Like there is some moments um, in the beginning when she's attacking, uh, and again, forgetting names is, is my signature move, but like when she's attacking the temple where all like the sorcerers went to, that like she, she kind of got trapped almost like in, in a mirror dimension and there is a moment where she just like puts her head hand out of the mirror to try to grab like america or to try to try to escape the mirror dimension and it is just like creepy and like her her fingers are just like all black there's like some a couple of jump scares i would say you know there, there's a whole thing about like reanimation and, and you know dead stephen strange and like all these like damned ghosts and so on and it's just like Throughout the whole movie, you can just see, like, the Sam Raimi-ness of it. And I think at the end, though, like, is it too different of the general structure than a Marvel movie? I don't think it is, but I think it's different enough that it's, like, fun to watch somebody else's voice. In the same way that I think, like, Taika and uh, James Gunn have been able to to develop their voice of, like, what they want their Marvel movies to be like. I think, I hope Sam Raimi gets, like, another Doctor Strange even after this, right? Um, Fun teases at the end, too, which is always great, like, seeing Clea, and uh, I I think that it's it's very exciting. Like, I, I don't think we have a super clear picture of, like, how everything is tying together yet like obviously um they use a lot the word incursion so it's seeming like it is maybe going into a secret wars i think um you know like a a hickman era avengers into like multiverses crashing with each other and we have to figure out a way to survive i'm guessing that's how eventually we'll bring in stuff like the x-men um because i i don't know how you can make it otherwise right like you know it's like you have all this history that needs to go into the x-men that you would need like a blank slate universe so i think like potential wise there's a lot in terms of like what the story is i don't think either the before this story or the after is super clear and i think that can be to some negatives of creating a shared universe but i think this movie by itself is is fun it's bonkers it's entertaining i would agree with almost everything not almost (laughs) just everything you said i mean I, I don't think you can say that Marvel movies are all the same anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think... I mean, I feel like that was pretty weak. It, it, it's also because it's like, yeah, them, they're the same. But... It's called the hero's journey. Like, everything from Hamlet to, yeah. like, so on. Like, they're all based on that. But yeah, I agree, yeah. Like, especially, like, if, you know, Phase 4 may not be a fan favorite so mm-hmm. far. But, like, Eternals... Even something like Moon Knight, One Division, Doctor Strange, they all have different feels. Yes, they're all cut from the same cloth, but, you know, this is a Sam Raimi film. Eternals was, for better and for worse, a Chloe Zhao film. And that that's good. You know, people, oh, there's no variety in all these films. Well, that means you clearly don't watch them, <laughs> but that that's fine. You throw out your your accusations at the MCU on Twitter. Not that I'm saying I... It's not my place to defend the MCU. It's fine, as Mm. it is. But I still think you're wrong if you say that. I agree that, you know, where the MCU is at the beginning and where the MCU is at the end is exactly the same. Like You could have just... Stephen Strange has a third eye. That's new. Wanda is not dead, but I mean... Oh no, Wanda okay, Wanda might be dead, but there's no way they're killing off an Avenger yeah. in a faraway scene with a uh-huh. rock falling down. 
And it's but. kind of like, you know, if Elizabeth Olsen doesn't ever want to act again, they're, you know what I mean? Like, they, they cleaned it up enough. But it's like, if Elizabeth Olsen tomorrow mm-hmm. went to Kevin Feige and it's like, I want, like, a three-movie deal, like, they're p- picking up that rubble and then Absolutely. she's, like, back immediately, right? Absolutely. But I liked all the things they did introduce. I liked seeing Charles Xavier. I liked hearing the 90s X-Men theme tune for about five seconds. That that was a correct call. Hover wheelchair Xavier was like... I I went into the the movie thinking it was going to be like, you know, X1, X2 kind of like Patrick Mm -hmm. Stewart. Yeah. And when I saw him and, and like the 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 X Men ninety seven theme kicked in, I was like, God damn it! Like I did not like I did I did not to be did not expect to be like the fan that gets like overwhelmed by cameos. And it's funny because like moments later, I think or per- before perhaps they introduce John Krasinski as Reed Richards, which yeah, is like a I fan cast Richards. that people have wanted for a long time. And I was like, That's cool, but it wasn't like oh you know like this this is blowing my mind. But, like, X-Men 97, Charles Xavier, was, like, the mind-blowing thing to me. Absolutely. Everything about, like, when he touched his head, you could see the waves coming out. It's like, oh, you know what you're doing, And it's funny, when they they went into kind of, like, that white room, I was like, is this going to kind of, like, white hot room adjacent, you know? And then I was imagining, like, Wanda (laughs) having, like, variants of herself, like, in a comic book Phoenix costume, like, you know? And I was like, they could do some crazy stuff now. But no, just in general, like, just seeing Xavier, like, Xavier was, like, the cherry on top of the Sunday. That whole Illuminati scene, I thought, was was great. It it didn't go on for too long to be like, you know, this is still Doctor Strange, and it's not Doctor Strange and and a whole bunch of other people that are in it for extended periods of time. Um, like seeing after watching that absolutely abysmal Inhumans show, seeing Anson Mount get to be Black Bolt again, but not just some random Black Bolt, but like the most comically accurate Black Bolt with the little wings and the little fork on his head that lights up. And getting to use his power too, because it's like, in what context do you get to use it where he still has to lose at the end, right? And it's like you get Mm -hmm. to flash back and see him be like the, the executioner of the Stephen Strange. And so that was fun. And then, like, his death, like, with his, his head exploding was... I mean, like, Wanda making quick work of the Illuminati was was incredible. I think, too, it's, like, to, um, to people's point, that's, like, it, it's still, like, kind of the same or not. Like, Sam Raimi does some, like, pretty gruesome stuff in this movie. Like, he has, like, Absolutely. Black Bolt's head explode. He turns uh, Mr. Fantastic into spaghetti, basically. And then he cuts Captain Carter in half with her own shield. Like, some tough shit that, that happened in the movie. Great. There's the the Doctor Strange that gets pushed onto a spike. Yeah. yeah. How have we not that musical oh, scene? I love the musical that scene. That was like I could else. say that maybe you know I could see some people saying like it was cheesy, but it was just like not only the the idea of it, but even like the composing and the score of it, and like the the, the classic music into like action scene, and even just the editing. Like there's parts where it's like it almost feels like early 2000s type of like editing of it where you can see kind of like you know Wanda doing something and then like two talking heads slowly appearing beside and like mm-hmm. vanishing and it was just like such a nice throwback and like unequivocal to be like you know what okay cool this is like what my movies look like I'm still gonna make it like it still fits into the story but it still feel felt very much like a Sam Raimi movie absolutely and that's I have no we went my partner and I went back to watch the first Evil Dead yesterday just because like well look this, see, all Sam Raimi films are like this. And, uh, yeah, 
I think I will absolutely watch it again. I mean, probably haven't had... No, actually, hmm. I was going to say I haven't had that much fun in a Marvel movie for a long time, but yeah, I saw Spider-Man uh, No Way Home. An onion type... Uh, it, it wasn't, like, the onion, but it was, like, the one that's, like, in charge of doing, like, geeky, like, fake headlines. And it was, like, the, the best Marvel movie since uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, which is the last <laughs> one. So it's, like, the, <laughs> not a real headline, obviously. It just seems so yeah. long ago. <laughs> I mean, you know, as I said, I don't... I think it moves a bit too quickly at some point. Like, things just kick off. If, like, he, you know, it starts... Quickly, I thought the first fifteen or so minutes were one of the best MCU intros I've had. We've had in a long while. We had the Doctor Strange and America Chavez, the Doctor Strange with a ponytail. That whole sequence was great, and then the bit with the the octopus creature. That bit was great when he jumps out of the out of the window off the balcony. It's not window, is it? And he throws oh, the cape on behind him. That bit was great. And finding a way to give happened? like Rachel McAdams some more to do was good too, right? Because it's like in the first one, she is as secondary, like she's tertiary character, I would say, almost. Mm-hmm, because there mm-hmm. isn't, you know, like once you have like Doctor Strange doing magical stuff, like what is the the like the other medical profession going to do? Like they can't jump in and do magic, right? So then being able to yes. find a variant for her to be like, okay, well, you get you get to beef up your role a little bit and do some extra stuff and help in the third act. What's what, a nice nice touch, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And although still probably could have made her do a bit more. Like, I think that's something that could be said for a lot yeah. of the MCU women. Like, they don't really do much ever. Like, it would be good to see uh, Jane Foster back because clearly that's going to be a much more prominent role. So, you know, they're making efforts to improve on their their past mistakes, but Christine Palmer is still very much second fiddle. Or, well, even third fiddle once more, I suppose, after America Chavez. Which I thought was a great introduction. You don't really learn that much about her. So that could have been an area for improvement. Probably could have done without that scene. It's like, oh, I got scared by a wasp and uh, sucked my parents yeah. into, a, into a portal. I mean, I don't know much about America Chavez. Other than I've always thought that name is pretty stupid. But beside the point, I don't know if that's her comics origin or not. That she sucked her parents because she got scared by a wasp. But... I'd maybe come up with something a bit more exciting than that. But, uh, yeah. Well done, MCU, for continuing to be good. That's everything outside of comic books covered. So, Rodrigo, bring us back to the land of the written material. What have you been so reading? So I read two things in this last month. One I'll touch very, very quickly, go through, and one I'll tra- take some more time, but really not that much more time either. You know, I feel like we, we've kind of nerded out on Marvel stuff for a while, so I don't want this episode to go on <laughs> forever. Um, at, at your suggestion, and I think at, at uh, you know, even kind of like something I want to do for a while, I started reading the Moon Knight run. I finally was able to get the right volumes and, and the right order. This is the run by Houston and Finch. Are you familiar with the writer? I mean, I think the artist is David Finch, right? But are you familiar with the writer um what is his name sorry charlie houston so i wasn't uh but i knowing that you were going to read it i also read it uh so yeah no to answer the question no i wasn't it's funny because it's like i think he's american but when i was reading this i was like it feels very british like i don't know like mike it reminded me a lot of like mike carey i mean a lot more violent i would say Mm -hmm. than mike carey but just like some of his sensibilities um overall i really enjoyed it i think it's 
it's not as clean as a jumping on point as I would have hoped. I think just in terms mm-hmm. of there's, I think they're doing a lot of redefining of like who, uh, like Mark Spector and Moon Knight and the relationship with Khonshu and some of like the the secondary characters that were like previously like a support system for him, kind of like what their new roles are. Um, the first vo- volume deals a lot with that. You kind of find like a broken man and like all these people start returning into his life. Like, uh, I'm going to re- forget their names, but there's like a French guy that I, I think comes out as gay at the beginning, which I'm guessing wasn't mm-hmm. the reality before. Cause it's kind of, it seems like it's like a new introdu- a plot point that's introduced. You know, he has, um, it, you can, you can see he's like kind of broken, long hair, not seeing people, but there's like some flashback backs flash sideways flash forward whatever you want to call them into like his other life as moon knight and you can see kind of like how good it is i think like david finch is like a really good choice to to bring in here like he works well in shadows which i don't know if that uh, invites or doesn't invite more comparisons with dc's batman or i guess like dare even daredevil Mm. to some extent um i think it is the right tone of violent but still able to get away with it like in a main universe because sometimes like you watch some things like the punisher and you're like or like read a book like the punisher and you're like not in terms of like my personal like i'm not offended but i'm just like it's hard to believe that they're in the same universe and it's like at some point just like if you have to get together because you think like you know wanda made like six people disappear should we put her down or whatever and it's like okay well the punisher has been killing like 120 people in the last two issues so at what point are you going to address that he's i think a bigger villain than any of them and so it's like it's kind of like a dance that they have to do when they bring it but i think like moon knight is like the right level of like you know, sometimes he has to do what is right, but generally still kind of keeping it in, in the boundaries of, of what's reasonable. Like I said, the first one, um, it's called The Bottom, and that's really where, where you see, uh, like, Mark, and you start int- getting introduced to all these support uh, characters that, that are there and kind of their new relationships with him. And then the second one is called Midnight Sun, and this one, you can immediately see where it's placed because there's a lot of conversation about the Superhero Registration Act, which to me ultimately seemed like even more of a distraction, but it is a good way to kind of place this character and his relationship um, in in the context of the greater MCU, uh, there's cameos or I guess guest appearances more, more, more accurately by Spider-Man, Captain America, um, Iron Man at one point, like it's, it's good stuff. I think it continues the, 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 I guess the trend of like redefining a lot of this old history into what the modern context will be. But again, it's like in terms of like a jumping on point, it's not as clean as like, it's not as straightforward. Like this requires some focus, some, some sitting down and making sure that you're understanding what's going on. And so I think like, that's not a bad thing. Like, I don't think you should like, uh, and especially in comic books that have been going for like how, I don't know how long this industry has been going, like at least 60, 70 years or something, putting out comic books. Um, there's a lot there that can almost like drag your, your creation down. So I think sometimes it's okay to not be as super clean, but just, you know, just warning, I guess, in general, if somebody else is going to give it like they saw Moon Knight, they want to give it a try. Um, just that maybe don't go expecting something as clean as like the beginning of like the MCU series, right? Because this one does involve a lot of old characters that you have to kind of start like understanding that they are coming back and like who's brand new and so on. Like, I think the, the kind of the main antagonist for the second volume is the son of who I believe is the character that is played by um, the French guy that unfortunately Gaspard Ulliel in, in the series, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's who that is. Like, it's like yeah, the midnight something. Trying to get it. Anyways, like, overall, they were really good. I'm really excited to kind of continue moving forward because I think, like, 
this is going to become a lot more comfortable a lot quicker. Like, I think in the beginning, like I said, it still seems like, is this, like, a new character or is this someone that he knows from before? That part is, like, a little, I'm, I'm still processing it. But overall, the, the art is absolutely astounding. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm a big, big, big uh, David Finch fan. I think the second volume has some additional art by uh, Miko Swayan and, and some Tom, Tom Coker, I think is his name. Um, and, yeah. uh, it, just you know definitely recommend it there's also an extra issue in the second volume by writer crime writer Dwayne. uh i don't know how does his name square sinski he wrote the cable uh solo book after second coming or whichever one was the one where uh messiah complex after messiah complex there was a cable mm -hmm. series and i really like his work he's a really good um crime fiction writer so i it's it's interesting to always to see like the pedigree of like some of the writers that come into specific books like i feel like daredevil had a very good run of like writers and i'm seeing that something very similar in moon knight so i'm very excited to to kind of like continue going forward i really want like where i'm most excited to get is the jeff lemire stuff which i think kind of inspires like some of the asylum stuff in the series so hopefully we'll get there but the other thing that i read that i really took um it was a very, very fast read, but I am, like, deep, deep, deep diving into it. There is a new show on Netflix. I mean, not to promote the, the giant corporation, <clears throat> but it's called Heartstopper. And I don't know that it has necessarily broken through into, like, the mainstream conversation, but where it has landed kind of, like, in this queer community, is it, it is, like, all the headlines right now. Because it, it mm -hmm. generally, um, if you think about stories like movies like Moonlight or, you know, other queer-themed like properties that are out there um they deal a lot with trauma and it's funny because like i i also write on my spare time and it's like when i'm doing things in fiction i do notice that it's like a lot of when it comes to queer stories are involve so much trauma and this one is so trauma free like i think it's interesting maybe it is a perspective from younger people that are starting to see like you know we, we talk about how things are changing sometimes not as fast as, as we want to but things are and i think if someone is able to kind of approach their sexual orientation or their view on gender identity and all these things in, in a way that is so devoid of trauma i mean that's either an, a very intentional effort to try to shield something or perhaps like more reflective of their reality that they specifically are that's kind of how they're seeing this anyways this heartstopper show on netflix that's kind of exactly what it is it's like a really simple like love story between um a kid who is out and was outed in the previous year and meeting uh rugby star nick nelson and they kind of start developing a relationship where it's like nick, nick goes on a journey of figuring out you know what bisexuality means to him and then charlie spring who is like the main character kind of goes on a journey from being in a very tough spot in the beginning to finding uh, a much happier place um it, it the 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 show on netflix that you know i don't want to like i guess at this point i will say that if you are planning on watching the show if you're planning on reading this comic like maybe this is where you stop and go all the way to to the next um segment or, or so on because i will have to deal with spoilers in, in general um, the show uh, ends kind of at, at the spot where they have decided that they want to be in a relationship, which is, I think, about like three volumes. It's like it's a web comic. Sorry if I didn't say it. it's a web comic. It's based on a web comic created by Alice Osman. Um, she has continued publishing additional work. So she has a bit of like what she calls like an Osman cinematic shared universe. I don't know what what exactly Osman verse. Maybe I think she calls it. Um Anyways, but the 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 part the that they focus on is kind of this relationship between Charlie and Nick, mm -hmm. and it goes in the Netflix show all the way to the end. I've read all seven volumes that are available. It is uh, um, offered for free online on 
Uh, one site is called Tapas, and I think the other one is Webtoon. It started as a Tumblr comic, so it kind of places in right. what time it was set, like in 2016, I think is when it started. And so it updates every 1st, 11th, and 21st. And it's kind of just like a single page, like several panels, but like a single single moment. And that's how it continues updating. It's still ongoing, so you can it, 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 there's no wrong time to jump on. But definitely check it out. Like, I think if you look at her art, I... It's of a Tumblr esque style, you know, like it's it's a lot, a lot of nature. Uh, she is, I think, she has like a Bachelor of Arts or something, and so she has developed her own voice. I think it's great to see somebody who started something just like uh, as wanting to tell a story that has then grown on to be like a popular web comic, and then after that, like a popular Netflix series, and and I'm sure it's going to keep on ballooning. If web reading is not your preferred version, the graphic novels are also collected and available. There, it's the same content, so. If if you don't want to pay you can just read online but i think you know it's it's very genuine to like i i read it and even though i didn't have that experience because like my reality was slightly different but it does capture like the like how intoxicating having a crush feels like and how when it starts paying off it's like it, you know it reminded me a lot of there's a moment when he's they're trying to kind of figure each other out and they're like you know so do you have a crush on anyone and then, the, you know, like that kind of like playful and going back and forth to see if there's anything there. And it just really captures like that innocence and purity of like school that I think for 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 many other places, it's like a much more cynical adult, darker take. This one is like absolutely serotonin, you know, like there, there's no there's there, there is some shadows. And I think also like on the web version, the, the writer does a good job at presenting like whenever it is needed, like uh, trigger warnings. Like if you're somebody who, when reading certain mm -hmm. content, can uh, make you feel a certain way, the writer does include that at the top. There is um, some sexual assault in, in, in the beginning of the series. There is eating disorders in the second half. Um, overall, though, like I think uh, handling something like sexuality, like very carefully, something like mental illness, very, very carefully. And I think it's a reflection kind of of like, who the writer is like what generation she is part of that have grown up with a different type of conversation so i mean it's in many ways like when i read comic books it is by writers who are older than me and so it's very informed by their worldview i think like reading fables yeah. and then finding out that um i can't even remember the guy's name that that wrote fables uh, Willingham, that he is Willingham, yeah. You know, a man of the right wing who is very influenced in his view by the Israel Palestine Palestine thing. Like in in, in you can see it in his writing, and it's like these are not positions that I agree with, but it's it's kind of like a lot of comic book writers are older people that are in, informed in their worldview by that and so this is kind of like one of the first one where you know alice is i think 27 and like her characters are even younger right and so it's not a reality that right. i've grown up in, in but it's interesting to me in, in in a new way and to see kind of like how it's informed by that well, that sounds i'll admit it's on my uh ever-growing <laughs> netflix watch list the, the, i will, I I will tell like you i just click that little that little thing it's like yeah i will tell day. you that the netflix show i was like i seen people talking about it and i was like i'm gonna read the the webcomic first so i didn't get to it the first week and then so many people continue talking about it i was like you know what i have to fold my clothes i'm gonna watch one episode see what it's like 
it is eight episodes on Netflix of roughly 20 minutes, I think. So I think like the whole thing, oh. like 20, it's like so fast, right? And so, which is to say that I started folding the clothes and I finished watching the show, like all in that one sitting. And then I was like, okay, I see where people are coming from. Let me read into this webcomic. So that night I read, I started reading it. It's kind of like all the beats in the show. Like it's, it's a very faithful adaptation, like word for word. There's like one character that's changed. And I think it's because, like I said, she has like an, I can't remember her last name, Alice Os- Osman, I think, or something. Like, anyways, in her shared universe, this one character has additional stories, and so I think she kind of like mm-hmm. wrote them out or switched them out because maybe at one point she wants to explore those stories and she doesn't want it to be yeah. tied into like this Netflix property. So it was like small, small changes, but generally it is like beat for beat the same moments. And so I was reading through this and going through it, like I finished it almost all in one night, but woke up the next morning to finish it. And so I read like all seven of her 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 uh, chapters or volumes of, of updates in like. A day and a half. So really, like, from show to full webcomic in the transcourts of, like, 12 hours, I think. Like, it it, it was uh, very, very addicting, very, very easy to get through. And I it made me really curious as to, like, what else is out there on, the, like, these webcomic sites, right? Um, I think, mm-hmm. especially with something like fantasy, I, I am writing right now something fantasy-related. And so I tried to pick up, like, as many uh, fantasy based books that i could find in comic books and there were some uh i i picked up like middle west by by scotty young then there was i think uh birthright there was i think by the kieran gillen one is called die or maybe something like die and anyways i picked up like and and they were good but it was just like i'm kind of looking something like something more like rat queens i don't know if you've ever read rat queens um, so I was looking like something more like Rat Queens, but not exactly that. And then there was like also like there's this, like this Grimm's fairy tale that is like these hypersexualized versions of fairy tale characters. So like none of them fit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, there's limited options here. But then like discovering kind of this world of web comics, you look into it and people are writing about like a variety of things and they're not limited into like publishers and so on. So it's just like I, I think I, I've opened a door here that I'm going to fall through and find a lot of other stories that I want to read very quickly. Well, that's very exciting, and knowing the episodes are only uh, twenty minutes ish, has that's it's flown right up my Netflix yes, watch 100%. list. Yes, hundred percent. And it's so funny because I was like, I'm just going to watch one, and then I was like, oh, this is like only eight. Like I can be done this by like ten. I'm okay. I'll just watch all of them and then cross it off. It's like the opposite of Ozark, which yeah. I've also started watching. But I'm like, oh, I, I can watch like one today. I'll watch another one tomorrow. Like I have to space it out. It's too much for one for one sitting. Exactly. I mean, I just I was just expecting it to be like forty <laughs> minutes to an hour per per one, but that's. That's quite exciting. I've I've written I it down on a, on a you post-it note. I, I'm not British. Um, they do something called form, where I guess like students mix, because like that's kind of how they meet. They're they're not they meet. They're not in the same year, and they're like, oh, we we met at form, and I'm like, is form a course? Like, what is form? Do you know this by any chance, or is it like a private school oh. thing? I don't know. I mean, we didn't have it at our school. I mean, we had so our school was split into we had houses. Uh, they were based off various prime uh-huh. ministers and other people that nobody really cared about. So I was in George House, and then so we had like George House specific stuff that we would all have to go to, like these big George House house mm-hmm. meetings and stuff. I don't think, but yeah, I think our school was very much sort of like more like an American high school sort of way, where you don't really you have your cl- like your sort of tutor group, but all the classes were. It's interesting. Just a random mix of of people all the time. There, there's a show called Sex Education on Netflix as well that is like 
set in the UK, but I've read a lot of um, conversation, not necessarily criticism, because I don't think anybody cares that much, but I talk about like how the setting of the school is very American. Like it's, I think there's like a lot of like lockers on the side, which isn't something like or most British schools has seemingly. Yeah, we do. But like that. it's a big part of like sex education, like chatting at the lockers or like uh, having lockers next to each other and so on. And so they, there's a lot of talk about like how it's set in the UK, but it's like the, the school expectation is like informed by like media, American media in, in schools, right? And between like this and, you know, like I mentioned, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but we had like a Harry Potter conversation on our Layer Butter podcast mm-hmm. recently. And we were talking about um, like the education stuff. And it's just like this too. It, like, it made me think made me think that it's like education systems are very different depending on where you are. And, you know, like I think fiction needs to do a good job at representing that because it should feel authentic. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Sex education starring... Uh... Doctor new, Who, new right. Doctor Who. As of I think today, this I morning, I, I woke up and it's funny because sometimes that. I see that's, that's news articles and like this one, and then it's like I'm so skeptical, skeptical of fake news now that it's like I before I retweeted it, I have to like open a browser, Google, confirm through various sources that this is true, go back into Twitter, and then finally hit retweet because it's like I don't want to be sharing fake news if this isn't confirmed. I feel like I, uh, you aren't the only person. I so I saw it on like the official Doctor Who Twitter account, right? And then someone replied underneath, "Is this legit?" And he's like, "Well, I feel like they would know out of everybody." But uh, I'm like, I think it was two, like, three, maybe more. I think Tennant was the last Doctor that I watched. I saw at least not like Matt Smith and then Jodie Whittaker. Is that it, or am I missing? Mm-hmm. There, there's Peter oh, Capaldi. Peter so at least now going to be four, or soon to be four doctors behind. But um, did, did Jodie Whittaker have a long run, or so her run is still on? I think it's been three years, but the episodes have been short. Mm-hmm. The, not the episodes, the, like the series lengths have been a lot shorter. And this year is very much like when David Tennant left, where it's just like an episode here. Looks like more feature length in an episode six months later. So they're doing the it's like the BBC fifty year whatever it is centenary special. I think is her last mm. one, and that's later. But it's not like an. Un, I, I mostly that's because I think like Whitaker was the first woman right to get to play Doctor Who mm-hmm. and and yeah. uh, the in Kuti. Is that how you say his name? I don't. I guess maybe not. I don't know. Uh, he will be the no, first black know. person to play Doctor Who. So I think it's like kind yep. of cool. Um, I, I think it puts some pressure on, on James Bond now. It's kind of like side conversation that we're having, not really comic related. But I, because I think I saw that some of the, the people that are front runners are back to being a white man. And it's like, I specifically don't care. I just think that like, that's not where the social conversation is. And so I'm curious as mm-hmm. like, you know, if Doctor Who is going to be black, will James Bond be able to get away with just being a white man? We'll see. Surprised we're still having to wait. I feel like it's been the same four or five names. And it's now. like I still see. Ed, All right, just tell I me still who see it is. Elba in the mix, and it's like I love that man. And if you wanted to do it, I'd be down to watch his movies. But it just seems like he's getting pretty old to try to commit to like a new franchise. Absolutely. I don't know if that's even. Especially when they're like two, three years yeah. apart. Like I feel like it'd be a short stint, or it'd be a very different. Yeah, I mean, either way, I'm down. If he wanted to do it, I'd go watch his movies. But if he doesn't, too. And it's like, even some of the other names I saw, Henry, is it Cable? Cable? Whatever his... uh, Henry Cable, I think he also is in the run. Tom Hardy's name crops up all the time. I enjoy him because he is a man, he's our people, you know? Like, he goes out there and he he reads comic books, he likes video games, he builds computers. And, you know, he may look like a a hunky Hollywood star, but he is our people. (laughs) Yeah, so, but one day... One day we will find out. To jump right back to Moon Knight, 
So I, as I said, I read that run as well. And I thought it was quite hard to follow what was going on. And I don't know, am I, was I just reading it too no, tired? No, I agree. Because I was like, there wasn't really much... Because first of all, I thought, oh, it's hard to follow because there's lots of personality changing. It's like, well, actually, no, he's Mark Spector all the time. There's like time jumps. And then again, it's like bringing in old characters, but reinterpreting them. And so suddenly you're like, does he not recognize that part because he's new or because they're changing that? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not again, like, I think if that was like the one criticism I could give, it's like, it's not a clean entry point for like the non like familiar reader. Yeah. Yeah, and there were, I don't know, like the Bushman. Like, you never see Konshu. Konshu talks to Mark Spector the through statue. through the Bushman who who he has cut his face off at, at Mark Spector, that is, cut his face off earlier in the, in, the, in the run. But then at one point he looked like the Red Skull and had a Nazi uniform on. It's like, wait, so are you the Red Skull? I, I'm so lost and confused. And then when the villain crops are like, I don't know who you are. And you just sort of pop in like I should know who you are. You're you're a robot, man. Okay. Again, it wasn't bad. Just so I followed it up by reading the Bendis run of Moon Knight, where, and that was like a one eighty coin flip. We went from Mark Spector barely speaks in the in the, but Bendis being uh, Bendis, everyone, everyone speaks like a lot. I mean, there was there was speech bubbles and everywhere. Funny, and like, Bendis always works with amazing artists, and sometimes I'm like, I almost wish you would say less because the art is like the bubbles here are starting to cover like beautiful panels. So in that, it's Alex Maleev yeah. does the art on, on on the Bendis run, and very different from David Finch in almost in, not in, in, yeah. in every way. Like it looks totally different. It's much less violent, the, the Bendis run. Probably some of the stuff he does is equally as violent, but it's not depicted in such a realistically violent mm -hmm. way. So I much prefer that. Yeah, I, I'm, so. I'm, I'm excited to continue. Like, it's not that I dislike this, but I did think it was, like, like you said, a bit confusing, not the clean... Like, I thought it was going to be a much cleaner entry point than it was. Uh, but I'm excited to get through it. I want to catch, like, I know, like, Warren Ellis wrote, too, at some point, right? Like, I think either maybe mm -hmm. before Lemire... Like Bendis, uh, there's a lot of good stuff there that I'm excited to get to. There's also Bemis as well wrote a period of Moon Knight. When I was looking at the uh, the Amazon like volumes of Moon Knight, that I, I was like, is this is this a typo? <laughs> is this someone else? No, it is someone else. Okay, is it like it's modern Bemis era or is and this like Bendis? Old... Oh, okay. Yeah, no, yeah, it's modern era. I think it's I think it's that the Moon Knight Legacy is like the subtitle of that era. Oh, interesting. Of, I'll check of it Moon out. And I was like, oh, good to know. Uh, yeah, speaking of something which continues to not be confusing and just is what it is, is Batman No Man's Land. Now, these are the uh, year 2000 collected editions that I have been reading. And I can tell you now that I have been approaching this event in the wrong way. I presumed, like most big event books, there would be a plot that goes from point A to point B, and that is the end. You know, every issue moves forward that plot, something happens and people fight, etc, etc. Um, however, Batman No Man's Land is not like that at all. It's like mm, 24 or, or CSI or some some show like that, where each issue or, or a couple of issues, or some of the stories are two, three issues, uh, is a self-contained story with a different creative team, much like 
you know, episodes of CSI don't all have the same directors, and each one is, you know, has its own story that is wrapped up at the end, but each one offers a tiny little morsel of an overall serialised narrative uh, that then continues forward into into the whole of the, the No Man's Land story. So this does have some pros and cons. The tone, the character looks, the way people speak and act and look and really anything about anyone can vary wildly between story to story and the Penguin is a good example especially in this volume where between stories he not only looks different but the way he speaks his his idiolect changes wildly and that you know it is what it is but it's certainly worth mentioning but a, a massive pro of this this sort of storytelling design is that it's introduced me to a whole bunch of new creators that I'd never heard of before or seen before and and that's great and it also does stop things from getting stale I mean the no man's land event you know we've had cataclysm we've had two volumes of road to no man's land and this is volume two of, of Batman No Man's Land, I don't think I said that. And there are three more volumes of this. So whilst last month I did say, yes, I want them to keep the dark style of, of Alex Maleev, Dale Eaglesham, that was back then, that has totally gone out the window. Uh, but things don't certainly don't get stale. And there are seven stories contained within this, this volume, volume two. Uh, some of them are being just single issues. Others are multiple parts. So we'll kick off with Bread and Circuses, written by Ian Edgerton, with art and colours by Disraeli and lettered by John Costanza. Now, this is the very definition of a cartoony art style. As I said, you know, the two stories with the previous book were very much both dark thematically and artistically. And this, from a visual standpoint, is the polar opposite but story-wise Penguin has set himself up as some sort of facilitator of trading of wheeling and dealing in what remains in Gotham City but uh, also runs a sort of betting slash fighting ring on the side and of course Batman he we won't allow this the trading yeah that's absolutely fine fighting uh, as I should add it's, it's, to, it's to the death of course uh, it's unacceptable so Batman sorts it all out and in the end he makes up making a deal with the Penguin so he can continue to facilitate trade but in return, uh, he must provide him with the necessary information where and when he needs it. The GCPD, or the Blue Boys, are make up quite a considerable portion of this volume. And whilst they don't really get any stories to, to uh, themselves, they do make an appearance in almost every single one. And it's here that the overall narrative of Batman No Man's Land really does seem to be focused. So, they are suffering a number of losses, trying to maintain the territory that they have gained, as well as gain new ground, because obviously they want to take Gotham back and get these various criminals and gangsters off, off the street. Uh, and so tensions are running very high amongst the officers. There's lots of uh, arguments, some physical fighting between them. And so Jim makes a decision to turn to someone for help. We don't know who yet who this might be. I have, do have some ideas as they are incredibly violent but it is a successful play and they do make the territory that they they need they do get the territory back but as the 
I mean, as I think I said before, you know, this is very much a story of how far will someone go for the greater good. Mosaic follows, written by Greg Rucker, uh, drawn by Frank Terran, colours by uh, Gloria Vasquez, and lettered by, again, John Costanza. And this is very much back to what came before with Malieve and Eaglesham, very dark, very realistic looking. And this focuses on the Bat, Batman's new psychic. She's now going by Batgirl, and she's come up against the Black Mask, I'll admit it took me a while to realise until they actually until they said it was the black mask that it was the black mask. He's not wearing the mask anymore, and he looks more like a a, a zombie. But but he's not dead. He's just uh, well, he's not wearing the mask. He's some, some sort of facial scarring thing seems to be going on, or maybe that's just the way Factor and draws people. That's someone I've guys art I've never seen before. But regardless, the black mask has developed some sort of cult around him and uh, but the more interesting aspects of this story are not the fight between Black Mask, Batgirl and uh, the National Guard who end up coming in and uh, helping out but it's Barbara Gordon who you know the Batgirl that most people think of uh, and she gets to see this new Batgirl going by Batgirl for the first time and she doesn't take it well at all I mean, while she's doing great work as Oracle you know the information source of Gotham City at a time when information really is at a premium. You know, she dreams of who she used to be, running around, gliding through Gotham City, you know, back being... She dreams about being Batgirl and seeing someone use her identity, whilst it's a totally different suit, you know, it's her It's her name, and that's really uh, upsetting to her. And of course, the GCPD... They're back in it again. The rifts continue to grow even more, and now they are occurring between Jim and his current wife, Sarah. But for the overall plot, we also learn that Batman has now commandeered Blackgate to use it as his own super prison, housing more of the, the violent criminals that he manages to, to catch and hold them well there. And it's run by KG Beast and a couple of other bad guys that are somewhat less bad and uh, but we do get some teases that of course things aren't all well in there but what is interesting is that people are wanting to get arrested and taken to Blackgate prison there's a guy who he drags a dead body out and shoots it saying oh look I've just killed this guy but of course it was a it was a dead body already so he didn't actually kill anyone he just defaced a dead body but so because he wants to being inside Blackgate is deemed safer than being on the streets of Gotham City. And uh, somewhere safe is what I think is a good... I don't know if these are ordered just in the time they came out or, or what, but the link there between people wanting somewhere safe and the next story, Home Sweet Home, written by Lisa Klink, art by Guy Davis, colours by... Uh, why the Last Man's Pamela Rambo, and lettered again by John Costanza. It's a single issue focused on a military vet who refused to leave Gotham City when the evacuation order came through. And this was because his home is his home. And we see, you know, from his point of view, that his street has changed hands multiple times from the likes of Victor Zaz, Killer Croc, Mr. Freeze, etc. And they've all had, at some point, it's, the history has been claimed as part of their 
territory. It's, you know, it's, it's a good story, you know, uh, a story focused on the people rather than the capes and the cows and, and so forth. But I think what's really the most important about this this story is that we finally get the Joker in Gotham City. We've seen tiny little bits of him before, whether that be a couple of panels here and there or people talking about seeing him or or thinking they've seen him. But now we get to see him in person, his little gang that he's putting together and what he is up to uh, post escape from Arkham that would occurred back in uh, Road to No Man's Land. Of course, it's bad, bad things. Um, speaking of bad, bad things, Shades of Grey is the next story, written by Bob Gale, drawn by Phil Winslade, inked by Phil Winslade and Sal Buscema, coloured by Pamela Rambo and lettered by Ellie DeVille. As the name suggests, this continues the themes of, of uh, the greater good. How far will someone go? Uh, to to just improve things, you know, they have to do something terrible themselves. And so, whilst we the story is really some sort of moral quandary for Batman and uh, Batgirl, the actual main crux of the issue is focused on a big Thomas Wayne flashback. And so, Batman ends up taking responsibility of a baby that these two women who are arguing over. You know, both arguing that they are the mother. It turns out neither of them are the mother. So Batman takes the baby away and then he talks to Alfred, who is like, you know, these moral quandaries, they aren't just a problem that you have faced as Batman, as as Bruce Wayne. And he tells this story of, in order to save someone's life, Thomas Wayne, uh, a doctor, broke into a pharmacy and uh, to, to get the medication he needed. Unfortunately, he still lost that patient, but uh, the owner of the pharmacy, the pharmacist, ended up extorting Thomas Wayne for his silence. Um, well, because he was a, actually a, a, bad, a bad guy. You know, Thomas Wayne, he broke into this pharmacy, he took the drugs, he even left money behind and did say, you know, I'm, I'm Thomas Wayne, I'll, I'll help fix this but the pharmacist was like well i'll reveal to everyone what you did uh but you know, in the end alfred pretends to be a policeman and the guy uh stops stops doing it but this you know bruce is like oh who would have thought other people have have uh moral issues and so he takes the baby back to the two women and is like both of you will be this child's mother because no one can do it alone in the way Gotham City is now. The next issue is then more of a prequel. It's not more of a prequel, it just is a prequel to Down a Tale on the Road to No Man's Land. So it's set after the quake, but before the creation of the No Man's Land that we are currently in in the time frame. So it's written by Greg Rucker, again, with art by Jason Pearson and Cam Smith, colours by Digital Chameleon, and lettered by Rick Parker. And again, it's another highly cartoony star. So we've had, we started with very cartoony, then we went a lot more serious. Um, then we went, so Shade of Grey is, uh, it's not cartoony, but it's a lot, it's a bit, the colouring makes it a bit, a bit brighter. Um, and now here we are, right back where we started in a very cartoony style. It's a story focused on Renee Montoya, and she ends up teaming up with Two-Face to help save civilians that have been uh, trapped under the rubble. At the beginning, she's very, you know, as it is, it's Two-Face, she doesn't 
trust him, she doesn't want to work with him. But he reveals that actually, you know, he's not all bad. At least 50% of him is good. She ends up taking the coin away from him and saying, you know, you don't need this coin to make good decisions. You can just make them by yourself. And in doing so, she ends up proving Batman wrong, who makes a brief appearance in the story, having a quick fight with Two-Face. He wants to take him away, but Renee's like, no, he's doing good work here. Let's keep him with us. That does change quite uh, quite quickly. We then get a story focused on Harold. If you don't remember, Harold is the mute hunchback mechanic that has been working in, in the Batcave repairing... Uh, the Bat-based equipment. This is written by Dennis O'Neill, drawn by Chris Renard, inked by Sal Buscema, coloured by Ian Laughlin, and lettered by Clement Robbins. It's a very short story. It probably a, was a backup issue at, at some point when these were coming out. Um, monthly, or however, I presume monthly. I have no idea. Fortnightly. Whenever these were coming out, way back in the 90s, this was probably a backup issue because it's only a couple of pages. And it just tells us that you know, Harold had issues with his parents, you know, wanting to kick him out. And he, just after the quake, you know, Alfred finds him. He wants to help fix stuff. But Alfred is like, no, not here. And so Harold takes that as even now Alfred doesn't want him around. So he heads off into Gotham City. And when he sees all the destruction and the ruin, he's like, oh, the dream. So much things that I can fix now. And so I guess he does so. I'm sure we will touch back in once this story ends and let's be fair the status quo is just returned to normal we wrap up with claim jumping it's a two-part story and it's very much a series finale of this volume if you think back to the to the 24 comparison it's the series finales that really change the status quo of the the story somewhat and that happens here so it's written by greg rucker drawn by mike diodato inked by wayne foucher coloured by Roberta Chews and lettered by Willie Schubert. So everyone is making a play for other people's territory. So Jim wants the GCPD to move on Penguin, much to the chagrin of other members of the GCPD. The Penguin and Two-Face go on to form an alliance to take down the Batman. And then, of course, Batman, Batgirl and his allies are just trying to keep the peace Jim turns to his unknown ally again because he knows that moving against the penguin is going to be uh, is going to cause losses. So he turns to this unknown ally, and war erupts. And only Batgirl is seen defending the Bat territory because Batman has gone missing. So it turns out that Harvey Dent, change of pace from that previous uh, two down story, he's very much bad Harvey Dent now. Maybe taking the coin away ended up switching him fully to to bad. Harvey Dent. We don't know how how that change came about, but he's the Harvey Dent that you know and love here. He he released a Russian spy from Blackgate who was named Echo, and uh, she's taken Batman away, um, but not to kill him, just to keep him out of the way. Because it turns out Harvey has a much larger force than anyone had anticipated. Penguin makes this deal with Harvey Dent because he's like, well, Penguin's the one with the forces and the money. But it turns out Harvey Dent has at least 200 uh, low lives, I suppose, uh, on uh, his payroll control. I don't know how it all works out there. I'm not in a gang. Uh, and so he takes the all of Batman's territory. Penguin loses his territory 
um, to the GTPD. And uh, in the final page, Batman is set free by by Echo, and he finds a wall, uh, and in written in blood is uh, tails. You lose with uh, blood beneath the bat symbol, and uh, you know we're in the end of volume two now. It's the the character low point. If you're if you're familiar with the the hero's journey, so I suppose only up. From here is the character low point. Batman has lost. He's lost him. He has no territory anymore. Um, but I'm sure he will uh, come back. The GCPD do manage to take Penguin's territory, but they lose 11 uh, members. This obviously increases tension even more. But Jim, who has been using Rene Montoya as his go-between for his unknown ally, tells her to go to this person and say that they are done. But I'm sure that this will have some longer-lasting consequences, because why introduce this unknown, violent ally of the GCPD for only a couple of issues? However, you know, Nicky, Nicky Scratch from Road to No Man's Land, he was only introduced for those two books, and here was me thinking, oh, he's going to be crucially important for the whole No Man's Land event. Haven't heard anything about him, or even seen him here at all. I really enjoyed Mike Diodato's art in these final issues. It's exaggerated and quite animated, but not in a way that is uh, cartoony like Disraeli's art, say. Um, it very much goes with the the more action-based story that, this, that these couple of issues are. So yeah, more Batman Road to Noma... <laughs> No, not Road to No Man's Land. No, We are through the road. We're in No Man's Land now. More Batman No Man's Land that will continue for at least another three months. So, as well as reading plenty of Batman, Batman Cataclysm continuing to move slowly forward. Why the Last Man finally done with it. All ten volumes have now been consumed by me. So I can't remember. What did I get up to last month? Four or five? I remember. Yeah, I think four, I think, because I didn't like four safe much. Safe word, right? Like, that was the mm. one that was kind of an issue. Yeah. So the rest of it, I've read now the final six. Much like before, it's not much to say beyond why The Last Man is great. It's good. It was great then. It's great now. Yeah. I appreciated that the end didn't really provide any answers. I right. appreciated I that quite. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, Okay, they suggest, much like the beginning where they suggest, oh, could it be might everything. be the magic pendant, or it might be Dr. Man cloning, cloning or, this. Yeah. And then it's like, well, it might be a different cloning experiment, or it might just be nothing just mm-hmm. happened. It was very sad. I wasn't expecting it to be so sad. Yeah, I think like when you hit those last couple of issues and you get to like the three five five part and mm-hmm. and so on, like it's a bit devastating. But you also know that you're like at in the end game, right? Like really anything can happen. Um, yeah, it, I, I think, like, when the TV show got cancelled, like, my biggest morning wasn't of, like, what the quality of the show was, but it's, mm-hmm. like, what the potential of that story down the line could have dealt with and could have been. Like, I do remember, I think, reading the death of uh, of 355 or whatever on, on the page was, like, one of the first times I actually felt, like, a little bit heartbroken yeah. in, in a story, in a comic book. It comes so, absolutely out of nowhere. Yeah. 
and it's they're kind of finally confessing their love to each other like i mean harking back to safe word right he does kind of admit that like what he saw and kind of like what pushed him out of his survivor's guilt and kind of gave it was was her so it, it was a bit of a sweet moment right before you know like a brutal end so yeah if you haven't read why the last man and you haven't been listening to both of us expound our love <laughs> go go buy it now it's fairly easy to find I will say, and fairly easy to read too. Yes, like too. it's 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 not like a super wordy comic book, and the art is generally pretty clean. Like there's some issues that are not Pia Guerra, where mm. like the art gets like a little bit messier. Yeah. But Pia Guerra's lines are like really clean. The Absolutely. colors are really bright, so it's very easy to read. But I will say, so I got the ten volumes of the the, mm-hmm. like the thinner trade paperbacks that were produced, yeah. I guess, soup, closer to when it originally came out. So the the paper is older it started to yellow and i feel like that aided in my because mm-hmm. i saw some of the newer prints and it was all very bright and like oh. like the plasticky type of yeah paper. it's like oh yeah that, that really changed how it looks so i much prefer yeah. how the older paper maybe that's i have the same same that you do i think and i also find with these that like the binding sometimes just randomly spits out pages that i guess are no longer like being able to be held in so it's like that kind of sucks too so i also i I would agree that if there's some like new additions out there that you can maybe collect maybe that's the way to go i'm sure there are probably there's probably a massive omnibus out there now hardback you can buy um so yeah there you go that's another episode of pitching reads episode 27 and you can follow the show on twitter at phd reads and don't forget there's an instagram now at PhD Student Reads. Uh, you can follow Layered Butter at Layered underscore Butter on Twitter and Layered Butter on Instagram. Now, I know from following these accounts that Layered Butter has been up to all sorts of exciting in-person events. Yeah, we held a, an inherent vice screening on 420 in which we had like a really cool poster that we worked with uh, Matt Lyon, who had done a, another poster for, for us, a Dune poster. Um, you know, we have been at the Northman screening at TIFF, like the, I guess like the Canadian premiere mm-hmm. for the Northman, which is a movie that we then reviewed on the podcast. We reviewed everything everywhere all at once. We talked about kind of the Harry Potter franchise in a way, kind of closing the chapter, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think like our conclusion was like, you know, this franchise has nothing more to say. We have nothing more to say on this franchise. So, you know, if you want to check that out, that's always available. And And you should. That's there you go. That's another another recommendation from me there. So there you go. We'll be back in a month's time. I don't think there's no new MCU products in the coming or any products that we I mean we say that now, in yeah. a month we'll look like fools perhaps. <laughs> we probably will. But in a month's time you will find out if we were wrong. But uh, until then, goodbye.